Hey folks, I hope everyone is staying healthy and safe. I've been trying to figure out what to compare this pandemic to, some other event for context, and I can't really find one. This is new territory for all of us. And like you, I don't know what's next or what the other side of this looks like. All I do know is to keep moving forward, keep doing the things I know how to do, and look for ways I can use what I do to make other people's lives better. Now, there's no blueprint on how to move forward in terms of business, but there are some things you can do to make sure your brand weathers this storm and continues to serve your employees and your customers. I've written a document entitled Branding in a Time of Disruption. You can find it on our website at creativeouthouse.com. I think you'll find it helpful. Let's go on with the show. And she looked at me and she says, you know, when you give children broken concrete and flooded fields to play in, you tell them that they don't matter, that they aren't worth it. But when you give them trees and plants and green spaces to play and clean air to breathe, you tell them that they matter. Check out the rest of the conversation. Welcome to Marketing Upheaval. You're listening to Marketing Upheaval from Creative Outhouse. Welcome to Marketing Upheaval. My guest is Eileen Matthews Thompson, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at the Trust for Public Land. Eileen has also held leadership positions at the Nature Conservancy and the Outdoor Industry Association. A good part of her career has been in getting more people to have access to parks and recreation and getting our representatives to support that. Eileen Matthews Thompson is herself a force of nature. We're going to talk about how to get more people to go outside and have more places to enjoy the outdoors. So thanks for joining me, Eileen. Hey, I'm really glad to be here. Let's start with the Trust for Public Land. They create parks and protect land for people. So how do they do that? Yeah, the Trust for Public Land's been around for about 47 years. And one of the mainstays of our mission has been about connecting people to the outdoors by creating parks or open spaces, trails, protecting large-scale forests and, and areas where people can get outside. Fast forward 47 years, we actually go into communities and create parks and open spaces. We are looking at how we can find open spaces and parks in urban environments where real estate set a premium and you can't really shoehorn in a park. So we're getting creative and we're looking at uh, schoolyards that right now are barren asphalt and we're working with school districts to transform those schoolyards into green, vibrant areas where kids can play and the surrounding community is able to come out and enjoy those spaces. And we also work on creating access in some iconic national parks. Like just in December, we protected a one-mile stretch of the Zion Narrows Trail in Zion National Park that had previously been privately owned. And so sometimes hikers would come up and the trail was closed. Sometimes they'd walk up and it was open. It was very unpredictable. So we worked with the landowner there to make sure that that trail remained open for access for people for perpetuity. So we do some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. I have to say, I'm excited to be here and be part of this mission. You brought this up. What is the difference? You think what are the main general differences between what the Trust for Public Land did 47 years ago to what it does today? The way people are getting outside is quite different than back 47 years ago. Society is more urbanized. Younger people want to live closer to cities. And so that's really created this this shift in the way that we're looking where we say, yes, those 
places that create these amazing outdoor experiences and wild nature, those are still important, but those are fewer and far between to come along than where people live now, which are in urban environments. And so we're, we're balancing now how we're creating access to parks and open space for people looking at both where we still have opportunities to protect places and how we can make that happen in more urbanized environments. So I read an, an outdoor foundation study that says that people are going outdoors less and less. And you could see that obviously because the increased technology, you know, Netflix has a lot of stuff on it. How does that impact your message and what you do? Yeah, you know, the evolving, you know, society and some of the factors like you, like you said, like technology, the way people are interacting with the outdoors and with nature is different. It used to be where people aspire to say, I'm going to take 30 days and go into the wilderness and I'm going to find myself. Mm. Younger people now aren't really looking for those types of experiences, but they are looking for opportunities to meet their friends in the park, do some bouldering closer to home. Uh, a lot of younger people don't have cars when they live in cities. And so they need these closer to home, almost everyday opportunities to get outside. Part of it's looking at the way that people are starting to interact with the outdoors and hmm. thinking about how we're creating access really supports the way that they actually want to get outside. You see that with the rise of communities are really wanting to have those spaces close to home that they can get to mm. daily out, outdoor opportunities, or they're thinking about bike commuting and their carbon footprint. And so they want safe routes or paths where they can get where they're trying to go and still have good exercise and opportunity to get some fresh air and to be outside and live a little lighter on the earth. Yeah. And that, is that why one of the stated goals of the Trust for Public Land is to put everyone within a 10 minute walk of a park? for that reason, because they're more urbanized now? Absolutely. You know, it's incredible what happens when people have a chance to get outside and everyone can support the idea of having access to a good quality park nearby. We're facing some real issues in today's society around social isolation because people have heads down and communicating through social networks. And Getting outside, having a park, going to a dog park, you know, it creates these opportunities for interactions. We really looked at that and said, okay, what is the real change that the Trust for Public Land can bring to, to society? And it's what's behind our 10-minute walk vision. And that ensures that people get that opportunity to get outside. And if you think about it, 10 minutes to a park, enjoying some time at the park and a 10-minute walk back, you're starting to hit some of the daily exercise requirements that the health community really encourages people to have. Yeah. Do you find it part of your message is not just, you know, obviously we, we need to figure out how to get a park close to people, but also we need to convince people that they need to go outside and go to a park. And there's been a lot of studies around that now about the benefits of nature and mental health, looking at children and their incidences of hyperactivity or violence on the schoolyard and things like that, where we're starting to see studies that look at what happens to people's mental and physical health when they get outside. Psychologists are recommending folks get outside in nature. Physicians are suggesting to people to get outside and walk and get that fresh air and that time um, out there. There's a lot of benefits that come from getting outside that really drive this. For us, the other thing is when we look at this, not every community is created equal. And so there are parts of any urban city that you go to 
where there are parts of the community that have great access to parks and beautiful Mm -hmm. uh, paths and trails and safe places to go and sit and enjoy the outdoors, but it's not necessarily the same in other parts of of a city. And so as as we look at this, this idea that everyone deserves to have a quality park within a 10-minute walk, and it creates a bar for us to say, how do we make sure that that's equal across different parts of of any community, different parts of a city? And that really is is something we care deeply about. Yeah, I was going to say on your website, you have a park score ranking tool, which, which is really neat. You type in the city, your city, and it tells you what percentage of your city lives within a 10 minute walk of a park. Mine was 41%, which I'm guessing is not good. Is it? Well, you know, uh, good is all relative, right? It's better than less than that. (laughs) And so, um, I'm sorry, it's better than less than that. It's better than less than 41%. (laughs) It's like, it's like one of my teachers. Well, at least you didn't get a 40%. That's right. (laughs) That's right. You know, but there, there are some communities that, you know, are, you know, exceed 80, 90% access. Um, And so, you know, there's always room to go. And especially, you know, in a, you know, where you're from in Atlanta, it's a big city. Um, It has, uh, you know, there's a lot of people. It's a growing city. It's known for, you know, being the South with big trees and and that sort of thing. And so this idea of creating Park Score was really to provide tools and a barometer, really, for communities to say, how can we move the needle on this? And if we provide more parks and and open space access, how would that improve our community? And so it it starts to give leaders Mm -hmm. and communities some tools to be able to gauge how they might come up with solutions to really improve their communities. So are your primary target audiences uh, community leaders, politicians, or business leaders and and like? They're very important to us, particularly with a 10-minute walk vision. We're working closely with folks like mayors to really realize this vision and and partnering with them. Two of our partners, Urban Land Institute and National Recreation and Park Association, we're all working closely to encourage mayors to think about this 10-minute walk and learn more about the benefits of parks and open space to their communities. But also we have outdoor enthusiasts, anyone that's interested in education, improving educational outcomes for children, all the benefits that come with that. Our audiences are also people that care about safe routes, whether it's walking or cycling Mm -hmm. uh, around communities, people that are very civic minded and want to have great quality community and place to raise their families and have a thriving business. Parks and open space are a tool that allow us to create stronger communities, specifically, you know, spatial communities on the ground, but also communities of people that like to connect and enjoy their time together because they have these spaces to go to. So I look at our appeal as an organization from a marketing standpoint is people that care about a strong society, want to have clean air, open spaces to get outside. Those are people who can get behind our mission. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. So it seems to me that who would be against parks? And I mean, what, what obstacles do you face and how do you overcome them? Yeah, this is, it's such an interesting question. You know, walking in the door of such a storied organization with a long legacy of, you know, quietly creating parks around this country, parks, open spaces, trails, you name it. We've probably left a breadcrumb somewhere in your community that's mm-hmm. pretty significant to the way that that anyone likes to get outside. Our challenge is 
that parks still are viewed as nice to haves and not necessary. Hmm. And what we're really seeing through more than 5,000 places and parks that we've created around the country, we're seeing the real deeper impacts that parks bring. They create stronger social bonds between members of communities. They're addressing uh, health disparities, improving health outcomes. It really looks at communities that there are some the haves and the have-nots and starts to be an equalizer when you're going into a community that has not historically received investments from their cities to have quality sidewalks and parks and safe places for their children to go. The act of creating a park brings communities together in ways that um, they're creating something and building something together. And so, you know, for me, the hard part is the work is beautiful and amazing when you see it underway and you see what a community can do together. But it's this idea that people still think of parks as nice to have when we really think of it as instrumental to the social fabric of strong communities. I can see that because we talked to a, someone a few weeks ago who was talking about trends and counter trends. The trends obviously are highly technologically and digitized world. And there's counter trends where there's this craving for human interaction. It seems like parks would fit in perfectly with that. Oh, absolutely. You know, there's two stories your comments just made me think of. One, I was in Tacoma, Washington a few months ago and I had an opportunity to sit with a principal of a school that we were looking at developing a partnership with to create a green schoolyards program. And this principal, she's amazing. She's one of these just high energy. um, She was sort of like uh, a superstar rock star walking down the halls of her school, high five in her kids or teachers, Mm. parents. And she sat with us and she said she was already doing a lot of what it takes to create a green schoolyard. She was rallying the community around the school. Um, She was calling the media um, to highlight the fact that the highway expansion was dumping a lot of stormwater directly in the the schoolyard. There was an unsafe bridge. These children had to walk across this, you know, eight lane highway to get to her school and there was broken glass and it was just unsafe, not a lot of lights. And just the act of getting to the school, they then sat in the center of a very smoky, polluted, acrid schoolyard that was right in the middle of a multi-interstate interchange. And so she had already recognized this and said, you know, I'm planting these trees that the uh, Department of Transportation had taken out when they were expanding the highway. I'm rallying the community to help me water them. I'm getting the kids out so they learn about trees and they understand what trees do. She was wanting to do more in her schoolyard. Mm -hmm. So when we entered, she was already there. And, you know, Rudy, I'll tell you, I was just a couple months on the job and, and she looked at me and she says, you know, when you give children broken concrete and flooded fields to play in, you tell them that they don't matter, yeah. that they aren't worth it. Wow. But when you give them trees and plants and green spaces to play and clean air to breathe, you tell them that they matter, that you care. And yeah. it's that, you know, this work is so deep. And it's it's powerful when you actually see it in action and you see a community pulling together to really get to those outcomes that they want, which are great places for children to grow up, for the community to gather, to beautify their community. And it becomes a real source of pride for them. Wow. I was going to ask you, and you've already talked about several, so you may be repeating yourself. What's the impact of having a, a park close by? 
You know, it's, there are many. One is, you know, you actually have a great place for the community to go and gather. Uh Uh, You also are creating a space for people to go outside and exercise. I'll tell you one of the things that's been really helpful for us, and it fuels our park score work, is we do GIS mapping and we're able to layer over um, data to understand how a park actually improves um, health outcomes, how it addresses equal access to parks. It's um, tackling issues like heat that, you know, depending on where you live, you may have more concrete, which means your Mm. community will be hotter. Um, Those disadvantaged communities really suffer from that. Your community may be flooded because stormwater is not managed well in your part of the community, but it's managed well in other parts of the community. And so um, our mapping data allows us to really identify where parks are needed most. And we can actually show how various needles will move when you put a park in a place that creates access for, for areas that have perhaps lower education scores, you know, poor health. Mm-hmm and crime, even those types of things. We're continuing to see over time how parks are able to really improve communities. But those are some of the ways that we're really studying and how we're using more modern tools like big data to really help us work with communities that want to put more parks in to see where they matter most. Yeah, I noticed that just looking at the mapping software you you folks have, that I guess it's no coincidence, the lower socioeconomic areas are the ones with fewer parks. So it really also becomes a social issue in addition to just a, a nature issue. Absolutely. You know, and that that's the one thing I, I can say from, you know, all of my years working in outdoor recreation and conservation, there's a shared ethos that anyone has around the power of nature. You asked me earlier, you know, who's against this? And, and, and in this case, I would say, who should be for this? There's a long ethos of people that have been conservationists, they appreciate nature, they know why it matters and how impactful it is on your personal life and people you know well. And just imagine for other areas of society that haven't had that kind of access to nature, it's a way for us who've benefited from nature to really make sure that all generations have access to parks and trees and fresh air and places to play and enjoy and grow up and gather as a community. I read a quote, it was by Octavia Hill and it was, it was 125 years ago. And, and she said, um, our lives are overcrowded, overexcited, overstrained. We all need space. Unless we have it, we cannot reach that sense of quiet in which whispers of better things come to us gently. And that was 125 years ago. <laughs> Wow. Wow. It's amazing. It's nature is the thing that endures. It's a powerful transformational experience to get outside. And I just, you know, Rudy, I think about what could our society be like if more people, all people had access to fresh air, the outdoors, they had that chance to recenter. What could that do? Yeah. And that really drives us, you know, and, and it's probably one big way where we're, we've made a real commitment to say everyone, all people deserve access to parks and open space because they really transform yeah. individuals, they transform communities. Well, you know, I was just thinking uh, when you were mentioning, we were talking about technology and outdoor, our park in our neighborhood, the time I saw it the most full of people was when they came out with the Pokemon app. app oh, the, <laughs> yeah. 
and everyone was out there. And I thought, well, that's wonderful. <laughs> Everybody's outside. They're staring at their phones, but whatever, they're outside. I thought that's great. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. There's always been a bit of a debate amongst hardcore outdoor enthusiasts around, you know, how people should get outside, what qualifies as being an outdoor person. We really believe, you know, come as you may. You know, I mentioned yeah. earlier, you know, people are interacting with the outdoors in ways that are meaningful to them. And hey, if Pokemon's getting kids outside and excited and moving through a park and getting some exercise, that's great. You know, we, yeah. we're also seeing it, you know, yoga in the park, you know, yeah. we're seeing lots of different ways that people are getting outside, walking groups, skate parks, everyone's doing it right when they get outside. That's really our goal is some places will go into a community and maybe it's a largely Hispanic community and what we're finding is what will encourage people to go to a space is when they feel like it's for them. It's welcoming of them. And so we've gone into a community and a place in Wenatchee, Washington, where, you know, it's a large Hispanic community. There are um, many of the people in the community are uh, part of the um, agriculture. They do a lot of growing. We worked with them and developed a park that had turf field. It had a performance pavilion that's found commonly in town squares in Mexico. It's the way the community wanted to engage with the space and be outside yeah. and picnic with their families. And so it's also about reflecting the various cultures of the people in that community so that it's mm. a space for them and not defined or designed by people who aren't using the space. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, what are some trends then in the, I guess, the outdoor preservation space? Yeah, you know, I I look at this as, you know, we've touched on a couple of these, but, you know, people are getting outside in very different ways. And to me, a tragedy is when there's a park and no one uses it. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> we see, we, you see that at times. And so, you know, really getting to know communities and creating spaces that are welcoming and used by people because they're interacting with the outside in different ways. We're seeing a lot, you know, in this outdoor preservation space around fewer people are going to far away, long, epic adventures, and they're looking for more everyday opportunities to get outside. Yeah. You've talked a lot about this overly digital culture. And so how do we combat the social isolation that people are feeling? We're also seeing, this is pretty exciting for us, that more communities are now recognizing that outdoor recreation is an economic opportunity mm. for them. Yeah. And so, you know, you're seeing a rise of more accessible outdoor recreation equipment like e-bikes and things like that, that are allowing people who normally might not be able to use a traditional bicycle on under full power, but it's allowing them to get that exercise, get outside. And these communities are recognizing that people are getting outside in lots of different ways. And if they make their spaces, their forests around them, their parks, their trails, uh, welcoming environment, and they're building their communities around them, they're finding real economic opportunity in outdoor recreation. And um, that's pretty exciting because it allows communities that have not traditionally had strong economic base, it's creating a, a, a space and place for them to really thrive. Yeah, I remember we worked together when you were at the Outdoor Industry Association and just the the uh, the 
hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars that are created from just people going outside and enjoying the outdoors. It's huge opportunity, I think. Absolutely. You know, and we're also seeing a lot of states are popping up these offices of outdoor recreation because they recognize that outdoor recreation is an important sector of their state and of key communities. And that's pretty exciting because, you know, in order to recreate outside, you need more open space. And so we're able to yeah. Uh, really work with communities to make sure that they've got some great quality places to get outside for themselves and potentially be a draw for others to come to their community. That leads me to something we talked about before the we started recording, which is there is a movement to having more drilling on public lands. I think we talked about bear's ears and how can you balance preserving land and helping communities that rely on energy versus protecting public lands? How do you balance that? It's hard. And I think at the Trust for Public Land, the way that we really approach this work is everyone can agree on having quality places to get outside and fresh air, places for kids to play. Um, There are certain bedrock issues, certainly, that any organization is going to have around ensuring that places that have been protected and set aside are remain that way. And and that's important work. In some places, you know, we're able to bring forward economic data that shows how forests may in fact provide more economic opportunity than traditional extraction or energy may have previously provided. In some boom and bust communities, you know, there was a robust economy based on energy or extraction. And now that is no longer the opportunity. And so these communities are really trying to find their way and find a good, healthy balance uh, for jobs and um, to ensure their livelihoods. The thing they can agree on is creating spaces for people to get outside and recreate is an opportunity for them. We're very focused on bringing forward solutions and appealing to both sides of the aisle because there's great benefit here in finding places for people to get outside, finding that economic opportunity, identifying you know real health benefits to doing so, and making sure that all people have an opportunity to get outside. Well, since we're on the subject of politics, how much of your messaging is centered around climate change? Climate change is an issue that will affect the planet. And our <clears throat> approach has been, how does this really land down in the communities where we're working? And how do we help them understand what some of those challenges might be and what are some of the solutions to help them deal with those impacts? In Atlanta, uh, Cook Park is right around the corner from you all. Mm-hmm. And it, you know Vine City and English Avenue, yeah. and it had experienced historic flooding several years back. And many of those homes were destroyed. People had to be relocated. Some of those homes still suffer from uh, mold and, and various issues. Those dealing with stormwater runoff and ensuring that those have places to go so that communities like the ones around Cook Park are safe and have the equal benefits, that's the solution that we've been working on finding. As we face more heavy storm events, what is that community going to do about that? We work with a community to design Cook Park so that it could store up to 10 million gallons of stormwater and still provide a really great place to get outside and walk and enjoy the outdoors. That's an example of how we're saying, okay, 
the impacts are real when you get down at the community level. Mm-hmm. Um, some communities have more flooding. Some communities will have um, heat that is going to impact the more disadvantaged or the more vulnerable populations like kids. And so how we help them understand what that actually looks like and create those solutions is the thing that I think we can really offer. Rudy, there was one, one thing I wanted to share with you also, if I, if you can indulge me, Um, we were um, at some of our green schoolyards work. What we found is that if you actually went to the asphalt surface of a schoolyard and you took a temperature reading. We were in a project in Oakland, California, where we found the air temperature was 63 degrees. So whereas the adults are standing, 63 yeah. degrees. Yeah. But the surface temperature at the same time, same day, um, was 115 degrees. So when you think about little people and they're on these asphalt, dark asphalt schoolyards, the way they were designed in the past, it's quite different. And so the spectrum of are the real issues. How do we really solve that? And so a lot of our big data is really helping us highlight where areas can benefit from parks because, you know, trees and more, more tree canopy lowers surface temperatures. And that's the way we're able to kind of package that together and bring it as real solutions that help address these issues that we're going to see more and more of. Wow. That's 40 degree difference, more than a 40 Isn't degree that incredible? Uh, it's, it's mind blowing. Yeah. I mean, especially if you consider what if it's summer and what if you're, let's say, in Georgia. Right. <laughs> wow. That's, exactly. That's amazing. Yeah. So is there something you hinted, said something about it earlier. Is there something now in how parks are created that is different than the way they're created in the past? There's this attention, deep attention being paid now to creating spaces that are have community involvement because it ensures that those spaces are well cared for, that those spaces reflect the things the community really wants. And all of that means that those spaces are used more. And so there are many ways you can find a a place that um, could use a park or an open space and you can set it up the way that you would like, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's being used. We found that our approach is quite unique in how we're able to really reflect the needs, the values, the culture of communities. And in some places where maybe there's some of the um, most disadvantaged communities in the country or in that state, there's a real sense of pride that comes from those communities once they've had that chance to dig in and, and be a part of designing something for them. I do want to tell listeners that you are to put it mildly, an outdoorsy person. You've ridden bikes up mountains and you bike for 24 hours straight and uh, uh, 28 hours straight in, in one occasion. So you are one of those people you referenced before as those you know, true outdoorsy person. What for you personally connects with being outside? Yeah. Oh, that's a dreamy question. <laughs> I'll say this. I, I find when There was a particular moment in my life. I was living in Atlanta and I had some big life changes and getting outside in the woods of North Georgia introduced me to a whole different world. Um, It really helped, I think, build my foundation. Um, You know, people in their mid (laughs) twenties, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of different things you could do with your life. And so um, for me being outdoors 
has been transformational in, in many respects from sort of that pivotal moment when I went from being sort of an inside person, I would say, to being an outside person. Um, I continually go back and recharge. I enjoy the challenge of the physicality of saying, okay, it's my mind and my body and we're going to do a race. We're going up this mountain. I'm tackling this challenge. And it always astounds me how much you can actually do more than you think you can. Hmm. And uh, the outdoors teaches you that. I find myself retreating there at times. I find myself reconnecting with people um, on a bike ride or a hike. It's what drives me personally to do this work and to create opportunities for get out to, for people to get outside. So I feel very fortunate to have had the experiences that I have and I'm always looking for opportunities to take people out. <laughs> so. You know, you have obviously like the rest of us, uh, modern uh, obligations and you have your phone and your computer and you're constantly in touch. How do you separate from that busy techno world and say, take time to go ride a bike up a mountain? I'll be honest. Sometimes it's hard to separate, (laughs) but you know, I find after about three days, if I'm lucky enough to break away for that long, it's fantastic. This for me is why this need to have more close to home opportunities to get outside really speaks to me. I love every part of my life. I have a very dynamic life. I travel for work. I travel for fun. You know, I love the exercise. I love getting outside. I love spending time with friends and family. And I choose communities that allow me to have recreation close to home, um, great opportunities to get out further when I can. I won't lie. Sometimes I check my phone, (laughs) but there is nothing like getting outside, even if it's just for an hour or two, you know, every day, there's, there's something incredibly powerful about that. And it reminds me that I need to disconnect more often um, than I do. Huh. Okay. You've convinced me. I need to do that. (laughs) We got to go on a bike ride, Rudy. Uh, Okay. (laughs) So you, you've been in this space for a long time now. And by that, I mean, outdoor preservation, outdoor recreation, uh, and it's something obviously you're very passionate about. So you've seen the trends over a period of time. Of all the changes you see happening, what excites you the most and what concerns you the most? That's a great question. For me, the thing that excites me the most is that nature and the future of the planet are really deeply in the public discourse. We're seeing the younger generation rise up and and really stand for more sustainability, addressing climate change. Um, They're having a voice. I tell you, these young people, my gosh, you know, the the confidence and strength that they carry with them um, is incredibly inspiring. Yeah. They're not asking for the torch. They're grabbing it. (laughs) They're wrestling the torch (laughs) out of, out of the hands of their elders. And they're going to do some amazing things. And, and I think that's just so incredibly powerful. We have it in the public land space and just their unabashed commitment to fighting for what they believe. I, that inspires me every day. Yeah. What concerns me, there's still much more to do. The state of the, of the planet will require many to step forward with a really clear um, shared vision for how to really solve things climate change landing down in 
communities and we're seeing those those um, impacts of climate change happening every day in the places where we work. But again, it's the young people, it's the people with the deep commitment that give me deep hope for this work. Yeah, they they actually give me hope for everything, to be honest. Older people always like to say, young people nowadays, I'm not one of those people. (laughs) Because I think younger people are so much brighter and so much more in tune. Yeah, I can't agree more. It's I'm just amazed. I walk into different um, events and, and things and, you know, the younger generation, the rising generation, you know, they're, they are unafraid to step forward with their ideas and they're, um, they're going to make a real difference. So, yeah. yeah. I'm very grateful. I didn't have to compete with them to get into college. (laughs) I feel exactly (laughs) the same. (laughs) Oh, well, this has been a lot of fun, Nailing, and it's been great catching up and learning about the Trust for Public Land. Thanks for so for being on the, on the show. Absolutely. It was really fun. I'll talk to you soon, Rudy. Hey, thanks for listening. Join the Trust for Public Land in creating parks and protecting land for all people at tpl.org. For previous episodes, go to creativeouthouse.com slash podcast. And you can also find our piece, Branding in the Time of Disruption, at creativeouthouse.com, our website. Thanks to Susan Cooper for producing the show. And what can I tell you? The world's in upheaval right now. And the best way to deal with it is to stick together. See ya. See ya.